Last week, Tony spoke about our inconsistencies in life. That as, as Christ followers, our behavior doesn't always match our beliefs. We're, we're inconsistent. And, but what that gets labeled as in our lives is we get called, particularly people who participate in church, instead of people just saying, you're living an inconsistent life, they call us hypocrites. And the reality is that a hypocrite really is someone who's pretending to be someone they're not. That, you know, when that word first came out in the New Testament, and when they were using it, they were referring to actors and actresses. But it got transferred to the way that people lived their lives, that they were claiming to follow God, and, and with their voice and with their lips, they would make this proclamation about following Jesus, but then they'd turn around and live their lives as though God never even existed. And that's really what a hypocrite is. But what we are is we're just inconsistent. And that's the truth. I'm inconsistent and you're inconsistent. We just live inconsistent lives because what we want to do is we want to say, this, these are the things that I believe. These are the, 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 morale, the morality that I want to live in. These are the ethics that I'm going to apply to my life. These are all the things that I'm going to do. But there are moments in our life when we are inconsistent in doing what we say we're going to do. Do you know why that is? We're human. We're, we, we, even though we've been redeemed, even though God looks at us as, as his children, even though we're redeemed by Jesus, and, and God sees us as saints, not sinners, we still sin. We still mess up, and we're still inconsistent. And Jesus says, it's okay. It's okay to be inconsistent. He understands that. He's not asking for perfection. He's asking for us to, to be in process. That's the big deal he wants us to be in. And so, as we walk through this teaching, this great teaching that Jesus, it's the greatest teaching ever presented to mankind, it's Jesus' teaching to us known as the Sermon on the Mount. We're smack dab in the middle of it right now. And we're going to be facing probably the most well-known part of this teaching, and it's the Lord, known as the Lord's Prayer. But before we jump into the Lord's Prayer, I want to backtrack just a few verses, because the Lord's Prayer starts Matthew 6, verse 9, and we're going to just back up to verse 5, because in order to really understand why Jesus is calling us to pray the model of prayer, it's a model of prayer that he lays out for us, and it's absolutely phenomenal. It's really, it's got a depth to it and a richness to it that you really don't get when you just kind of take a snapshot look at it. But what Jesus is doing is, is before he goes and says, this is how you should pray, he actually says in, from verses uh, 5 to verses 8, he says, this is how you don't pray. And so we want to look at the warnings, because there's some warnings about how we pray, and that's a, a little bit hard for us, you know. Uh, on the one hand, we've all prayed at some point or another. I, you know, I don't care if, if you've ever walked with Jesus, whether you recognize Jesus as your Savior, uh, you've still prayed. We've all done it. We, we get into those moments and areas in life, and we have to call out to God. And so we throw out this prayer, and, and sometimes what we wonder is, was our prayer effective, or was it just more of wishful thinking that I had? Was it just a, a thought of, 
man, I sure hope, God, you can do something, but it wasn't really a prayer. Prayer. It's one of those areas, prayer is one of those areas in life where we wonder if we've prayed enough, if we've prayed the right way. And so today, this talk is for anybody who's been dissatisfied with your prayer life. You've ever felt guilty about not praying enough. If you're confused about how prayer really works or if it even really does work. That's who this prayer is for. So I just want to be really clear who I am not talking to this morning. If prayer comes easy to you, if your mind never wanders while you pray, if, you've ne- if you're never troubled with unanswered prayer, if when somebody cuts you off in traffic, your first reaction is to pray and bless them, if, if when you win $10 million in the lottery, your first response is to pray, God, thank you, and forgive me for playing the lottery and help me to tithe to my church, then this talk is not for you. If you're a Jedi prayer warrior, this message is not for you. This is for the rest of us because it's a strange truth about us. To be human is to pray. In moments of great joy, in great fear, great guilt, great sadness, we speak to someone or something beyond ourselves about all the stuff that's going on. We just can't help it. We throw out those prayers. And sometimes it's really short. It's like, oh, God, help me. And that's the prayer. And yet we wonder, is it that complicated? Uh, Are there rules to prayer? Am I doing it wrong? We have these, these thoughts about what prayer looks like. And before Jesus gave his model for prayer, He gave a couple of warnings about prayer, and that's where we're going to jump in this morning, and we're going to explore that. And so we're starting, as I said, Matthew 6, 5. And here's what Jesus said. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Remember, the hypocrite is the actor, the pretender, the person who's faking it, okay? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, here's the deal on this. The people that Jesus is talking about are the spiritual leaders of Israel at that time. And it could have been the Sadducees, it could have been the Pharisees, it could have been the Sanhedrin, all the guys that knew everything about the law of God. And what they would do is they would practice and write out these really long, eloquent prayers that made them sound really spiritual and really smart and theologically correct. And what they would do then is they would memorize these prayers and they would walk through the town, through the city market. And when the call for prayer would come, they would want to position themselves in the most opportune corner, street corner, so that they could pray loudly and eloquently to show off to everybody else how spiritually mature and how in tune they were with God. And all it was was really just all for show. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He says, don't be like those guys. Don't be like the guys that stand in there. You know, there's this this line from the book, Catcher in the Ride, that I kind of like. It says this, if you do something too good, then after a while, if you don't watch it, you start showing off. And then you're not as good anymore. And so it can happen in prayer. We start to learn how to pray. And I know a lot of people are fearful to, to 
show up to a, a prayer time or a small group meeting or anything like that for the fear of somebody's going to say, hey, Billy, will you please pray for us today? And Dear God, amen. That's what we're afraid of. We're afraid that we're going to have to say something and that we're going to look stupid or foolish when we do it. And then there's other people, when they learn how to pray, they really good, get good at it, and then they really start to practice it, and they really do a, a great job. But what happens is they start to show off a little bit with their ability to, to articulate and be eloquent in prayer. And I'm, I hate to say this, but the worst culprits of that kind of maneuvering are pastors. They do it all the time. Now, I, I, you know... I do have to be a little bit honest with you because I'll find when I'm with a group of people praying sometimes and when somebody else is praying, instead of me listening to what they're saying, instead of me encouraging and praying with them, all of a sudden my thoughts are start to go somewhere else and I think about what I will pray when it's my turn to pray out loud next. Will it sound sincere and appropriate? Will I sound foolish, stupid, unspiritual? And you know, the thing is, I don't want to be thinking those thoughts. They're just in me when I'm supposed to be praying. And I don't know if you suffer from the same thing, but we have those times when we, we just have stuff going on and, and we're in the, in, in the process of praying with a bunch of other people and we get caught up in it and we're afraid that we're going to sound stupid if we pray out loud. So Jesus has an alternative to that, and that's in verse 6. He said, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, in Jesus' day, the poor farmers, the Palestinian farmers, they had a, a house, but it wasn't a very big house, and there weren't a lot of rooms in it. And if there were rooms, they certainly didn't have doors except for one room. And in that room is the place where they would keep, it would be the supply room where they would have kept food that they're storing up, uh, tools, um, maybe small animals like children. Um, they would put them in that room and that'd be the place where you'd have a, a lock on the door. But it's the only place with a door in the entire house. And so it's really a place of no consequence. Nothing great ever happens there. And so when Jesus says, go into your room and shut your door and pray there in secret, everybody's going like, the supply room with the chickens? Okay, I get it. That's a place to go where nobody's going to disturb you. And so you want to move into that place. Now, the, the good reason for going into private to pray then is that if you do it badly, only God will know. And guess what? He doesn't care. He just likes the fact that you're having a conversation with him. And beyond that, Jesus is addressing here one of the greatest barriers most of us face in prayer. God is unseen. God sees what's done in secret unseen. Prayer is based on the reality of what's unseen. But we've been conditioned in our day, in our culture, to believe only what is seen or what can be touched is really real. Again, that's going to take us into the depth of the Sermon on the Mount because the most 
real thing ever in this universe is God and his kingdom. There's nothing more real than that. And the most important part of you is unseen. The reason you're here today is you formed an intention. No one has ever seen an intention. You got up this morning, you made a decision, an intention to go to church. You said to yourself, you know what, I'm going to go to church. Now you might have coerced some of the people in your family, like I have to do, you know, to get my wife here to come and listen to me preach, you know. But the intention, nobody sees that. It's something that nobody has ever been able to see. They might see the neurons, but not an intention. Your thoughts, your desires, your choices are all unseen. Your body, your neurons and your eyes and your legs, that which is seen, all this stuff, it responds to what is unseen. In other words, in words that would be quite controversial in our day, matter is not indifferent to personality. In fact, matter, things like computers, cell phones, donuts, I don't know why I said that, all begin as an idea as unseen. Jesus says what is true of a person is also true of the universe, generally speaking. Reality that is seen is undergirded by reality that is unseen. That is the real. That's where things really happen. It's where we get to be in a place where we're still and quiet. We come to a place that is seen, it's physical, we touch it, and then we sit in a chair that we see, we feel, and we touch it, and then we get still, we get quiet, and we go to the place that is unseen, but yet more real, into the presence of God. Prayer is hard for us, well, at least for me. Because we think, or at least maybe I'm the one that thinks this, that if we're not moving and achieving visible progress, nothing is really happening. On Thursday morning, Lorinda and I got up bright and early in California and decided to make the trek from California to Lander in one, de- in one shot. We've done it before, but we're not young anymore, and so, you know, we kind of like to laze our way away. But this time, we had a, a dog with us. Carissa took her dog, Max, who's lived at my house for four years, her dog, to California and said, Dad, you and Mom get to take Max back to Wyoming with you. And we're like, all right, stinky dog breath for 14, 15 hours. Who wouldn't enjoy that trip? So as we're traveling, and Max, he's, he's a good companion. He doesn't make noises. He doesn't do anything. Once in a while, you have to give him a dent, denter stick, you know, one of those things for bad breath for dogs. You give him one of those. makes things a little bit better. And, and it's all great. So we're traveling along, and we're coming from the west to, to Salt Lake in Lorinda's, because there's this little, little place in West Valley we really like to go every time we come through there. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it before. It's called Chick-fil-A. Anybody familiar with that? They make this thing. It's called a um, frosted lemonade. I've had way too many of them, but I still love them. 
So anyway, in West Valley, we know we can get there. And so as you're coming into to West, coming down the highway from the West East into Salt Lake, you turn off the exit at uh, the road um, 5600, and it takes you straight right into West Valley, and you, you go through there. But as we're coming up, we're still quite a ways out. Lorinda says, I think that there's, I've seen this road that I think cuts right off. We would miss all of that, and we could jump on that road, and it would take us right to, to Chick-fil-A, West Valley, right where we need to go. I said, okay, you want to try it? She goes, well, no, because I'm not really sure that that's where it goes, but I just think it does. So I said to her, foolish of me, get on your phone because technology is not her friend. Get on your phone and see if you can figure it out. So she says, okay. And so she's trying to figure it out. And of course, I'm trying to help her while driving 75 miles down the road. And she's saying, don't do that. You just drive. And I'm going like, but you need help. God knows you need my help. (laughs) No, she said, I can do this. She did find out that we could make the cutoff and get on that road and then cut off all this other stuff. But we found out right when I turned off at 5600 Street to West Valley. So now you go from 75 miles an hour to 5 miles an hour, and you drive up and you sit at the stoplight. And you sit there and you wait and you wait and you go, oh, it turned green. And you move 5 feet and it turns red and you sit there again. And you find yourself sitting at the stoplight a lot. And what I heard was, you know, if we would have taken that cutoff, we would have been at Chick-fil-A by now. She's great navigator, just a little bit late. But what I want you to understand about that is prayer often feels like sitting at a red light. You feel like your life's going 100 miles an hour And then it comes to prayer, and everything comes to a screeching halt, and you stop, and you sit at a red light. And sometimes you pray, and you don't get what you want, and you're sitting at the red light. It feels like you're just sitting there, and nothing's ever going to change. That's the barrier that Jesus knew we would face. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. And so... We feel like we need to do something different. Sometimes we, we say something different. We feel like maybe we're not saying the right words when it comes to prayer in order to get the right answer. Sometimes we may just need to say a bunch of words just to get things going in the right direction because that's the way we feel, like, like I just don't have it all put together here and so I just something's wrong with what's going on here. And so, but Jesus tells us how we're, to pray, or maybe what he says more specifically is how we're not to pray. And that's in verses 7 and 8. And Jesus said, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Sometimes what we think of as prayer is really just superstition or superstitious stuff, right? You know? Uh, Chris and I, just a little side note, Chris and I have this funny little thing about superstition. I say, Chris, are you superstitious? She goes, no, Daddy, I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. (laughs) So, I don't know what that had to do with anything. But one of the old Charlie Brown cartoons that 
uh, I remember, it's Linus with his blanket. And he once said to Charlie Brown, I've made an important theological discovery. I have discovered that while you are praying, if you hold your hands upside down, you get the opposite of what you pray for. And maybe some of you feel like maybe that's your problem. You're just not standing in the right position. You're not holding your hands the right way. You're looking down. Maybe you should be looking up. And so you get all these things swirling around in your head. And and Christians, all around the United States, sometimes pray mindless prayers where our minds are just on autopilot. And I've heard pastors do it. And and they're the ones that should know better. And they get together with the church people and they stand up and they say, God, bless us as we come into your presence this morning. Now just imagine this. The God of all creation, the God who says, I'm everywhere, Uh, you can't get away from me, I'm, I'm present at every place. The Bible also tells us that when two or three of us get together, He's right there in the middle of all that, too. And so when we come and say, God, come and be in our presence, he's going like, where do you think I've been? I've already been there. Where have you been if you don't think I'm in the presence? Or then we pray something, a prayer like this. I've seen people do this. They sit down in front of a meal loaded with grease, lard, butter, sugar, fat, and cholesterol, And then they pray this prayer. God, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. (laughs) What they should really be praying is, God, bless this food to the hardening of our arteries. Because that's exactly what's going to happen. Matter of fact, I was out for lunch with Phil this week. And we were talking about some, some church stuff. And when our meal came, I said, Lord God, please protect us from this food. Because I think that might be more accurate of what what needs to happen. God wants us, though, to engage our brains and our minds when we come to have a conversation with Him. There's this guy in the Old Testament who really understood what it meant to be thoughtful in his prayers, and he wrote some of them down for us, not just to read, but for us to use as we come to talk to God. And so what I want to do is I just want to read a portion of one of his prayers to you this morning. Here's what he says. Um, He starts off with this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit with me. Cast me not from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That is a man who brought together his mind in a conversation with God and he says, this is not something that is nonsense. This is where my heart is, and I'm engaging my heart and my mind when I come to God. And the great thing about it is, if you read through the Psalms, you'll find prayer after prayer after prayer 
that you can incorporate into your conversation with God. And God's going, man, I love your heart. man." The problem is, is that pagans, which, by the way, we were all pagans at one time, okay, didn't realize that prayer to God, the God of Israel, was to be intelligent, a thoughtful conversation about what we're doing together with God. That's the prayer of the Bible. And the reason your mind matters so much is it's only through your mind that you will make contact with reality. That's true with physical reality, and it's especially true with God in spiritual reality. When we pray above, above all other times in our prayer times, that's when we want our minds to be at their best, when we want to be alert, when we want to be sharp. And so it's, it's the place where we need to come. Now, as fallen humans, we can understand why Jesus would need to steer us away from heaping up words, just empty phrases, because we're prone to do this. Apart from God's special revelation to us, this is our Gentile instinct, as it were, in seeking a petition from the divine. Now, there's this story in the Old Testament. It's about Elijah, and he called a drought upon all of Israel for three years. And God says, it's time to end the drought. And so I, what you want, I want you to do is I want you to have kind of like, uh, you know, a dance-off. You know what dance-offs are, right? You've watched enough television, you've seen this dance-off stuff, right? But he's doing it with the, the prophets of Baal, the God that they worship. And so he says, get up there. And so they made two altars. One of the prophets of Baal had this bull and they sacrificed it. And the, the, the thing was, we will worship the God who calls down fire from on, on high and consumes this sacrifice at the altar. And so the prophets of Baal, the Bible tells us that they're dancing around from morning until noon. And they're, they're, they're babbling these phrases and they're doing all kinds of things to get God's attention. And the funny part is Elijah, he mocks them. He makes fun of them because nothing's happening after hours of it. Then they start to cut themselves and bleed. This is their thing. Because now if we're going to get really serious about it, now we're going to show uh, our sincerity by, by bleeding all over the place. Four, 900 of these prophets are doing this stuff. And nothing happens. And so then Elijah, he has his altar made out of stones. He, he puts the wood, he puts the bull cut up on top of it. And then he has gallons after gallon after gallon of water, hundreds of gallons of water dumped on the altar, a trench around it with water standing in it, and it's water everywhere. And then he does this. He makes a simple but yet powerful and effective prayer to God. It's very short, and here's what he said. Listen to this from 1 Kings. And at the time of the offering of obligation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, here's his prayer, O God, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that what I have done, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire fell from heaven 
and it burned up everything, including the rocks, and licked up all of the water, and God demonstrated His power through a simple but yet powerful and effective prayer of Elijah. That's where God's calling us to come to. He's not looking for us to spend enormous amounts of ineffective time in prayer. He wants us to pray. Now, apart from God's special work in us, we're liable to turn the Lord's prayer into the very thing Jesus warns us against in the same breath. On one aspect, among others, what's so amazing about Jesus' model of prayer, and we're going to dig into that next week, it's simplicity and succinctness. There's a simplicity and succinctness about this prayer. Jesus manifestly does not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. He does not pretend to be heard for his many words. Now, in our English language, this prayer, English language, I don't know about the original Greek language, but in the English language, the Lord's Prayer consists of 50 words in four sentences. It's powerful. And it's simple, unpretentious, and it's to the point. And this is straight from the mouth of God. When was the last time you could remember a pastor getting up 50 words, four sentences, and it was done, and it hit home. I often find that when it comes to prayer, there are many different ideas about prayer. I've had a lot of people over my years tell me how to be more effective in prayer. They break it into a formula. If you do this, plus this, and then this, it's going to equal answered prayer. But you have to follow the formula. And if that doesn't work, then they say the reason your prayer didn't, wasn't answered is you didn't have enough faith. And if that isn't the, the answer, then they say you just didn't believe. You had doubt. You just didn't believe. Or somebody's going to say something like, you know, the reason why you didn't get any answer to your prayer is because you've got sin in your life. I have sin in my life all the time. Knock it off. Do you know me? Come on. God knows me. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you that prayer is conditional. And Jesus tells us that. And we'll talk about that later on. But prayer is conditional. And we need to be aware of that. But it doesn't come down to what we're, how many words we're saying or the, the formula in it. It just comes from a heart that is seeking after God and is going like, here's my heart. Here's the things that are going on. I just need your help. God's going like, okay, I can get on board with that. The problem is, is that a lot of times, because we're praying with other people, we want to sound really good. We, we, we present something that's really not in our heart. Matter of fact, in, in Isaiah, sorry, in Isaiah 29, the Lord said this, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. It doesn't matter what, what comes, it doesn't matter what somebody else hears you say. It doesn't matter how eloquent you are. What matters is 
Where's it coming from and what's the motivation behind it? Jesus is telling us that we've all been given the liberty from having to whip ourselves up into a frenzy to be heard by God. Liberty for heaping up worn out, liberty from heaping up worn out and empty phrases from many words. It's a glorious freedom in which we walk as children of the Father. When we pray, note Jesus' words, when. He says, when you pray. He doesn't say if. He says, when you pray, come to God who already has initiated that towards us. So our prayer really isn't that we're introducing this idea to God. God's the one that has called us to come into this presence of His, to come and spend time with Him so that we have this conversation and we pour out our heart and we pray to Him. He, he wants us to, to call out Him. God speaks first. He calls first and, and claims this as His own even before we return any interest in faith towards Him. He's got the call for us to come and spend time with Him. So we're free to abandon our empty evangelical stock phrases. We're free from needing many words, extending our requests to certain length to impress because in Christ, we're already known. We're already loved. We're cherished and secure. We are not unknown citizens approaching some deity out there, dignitary, who doesn't know us or doesn't care about us, but we are his children who are drawing near to our Father, just like Brady said this morning, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's the call from God to us. And simple language doesn't mean that we have these carnal petitions. When we use simple language, it doesn't mean that we come with flippancy or frivolousness or nonchalantly to God because we're still coming into the presence of God Almighty, our Father. And when Jesus starts off this, this prayer that we're going to be touching on, he doesn't start off with daily bread. He begins with hallowing God's holy name, not our name. And then he's coming to God's kingdom, not to man's kingdom. These are longings and expressions of a transformed heart, not the whispers of a worldly thought pattern. In Luke 18, Jesus said this. As he, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You're sitting at the stoplight and you're going like, I've prayed this prayer and I've prayed this prayer and I've prayed this prayer. When do I finally quit praying this prayer? Jesus says in a parable, don't quit praying. Keep bringing it before me. Later on in Luke 18, here's what Jesus said. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that, that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That could be our prayer at the beginning of every day. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Without new birth, we will pray. If we pray with 
uh, pretenses, that's unholy length, and with the same carnal desires as everyone else in the world. But with new birth, we will pray. Not if, but when, with simplicity and insightfulness, with new desires for God and His honor. Jesus just doesn't warn us about empty phrases in many words. He tells us the why behind it. He says in verse 8, for your, fa- your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that great? Before you even come and say anything to God, he already knows what you need. But some people take that to a place, to, to a place where if God already knows, if in his foreknowledge, he already knows what I need, why would I come and spend my time praying to him? Because that's just exactly the reason why God has foreknowledge is because he wants us to come. Jesus' logic behind it is actually the opposite. Our Father already knowing what we need is the impetus for us to come and pray, for us to seek out His will in our life, to use simple, direct language because He does not only know our needs, but He is our Father who loves His children and wants to meet our needs. In the end, how we pray says a lot about how we view our God. Do we really have His attention? Or suspect um, we need, or are we suspect that we need to flag him down? Do we, we assume that he is suspicious of our needs, or that he is pressured to meet them from a limited supply in the midst of an ever increasing demand? Is he distant, or is he near? Is he sovereign, or is he good? Is he just and merciful? These are all the questions that we have. And as a Christ follower, when we pray, we pray as those who've been freed from praying like the world. We pray as those who have first heard from our God in His Word, who have embraced His gift of unsurpassed grace in the person of His Son, Jesus, who have no need to earn His favor or our reputation, posturing, or, or pretense. Rather, we can simply, as children, Ask God profoundly with hearts trained on Him, not just the things of earth. We can ask with a humble confidence, knowing that our Father already knows our needs and knows them even better than we do and is even more committed than we are to meeting them in the deepest and most enduring way. The purpose of prayer is not to inform God of something, but to show him our trust, our faith, our dependence, our desire for him to work in our lives. But when we pray, our desire should exceed our words. When we pray, our faith should exceed our words. So this week, let me place a challenge before you because if you're like me, if you're struggling, if you find prayer difficult, if your mind wanders, if you wonder, do I, if I spend more time in prayer, is that going to get me more answers from God? So here's my challenge to you this week. I want you to take one to five minutes and offer up a heartfelt prayer to your Father in Heaven. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what that... that that one to five minute prayer is going to be like. But in your day, as you're going along, maybe you start off by getting out of bed and offering up a one minute prayer 
God, have mercy on a sinner like me. And then continuing from there for one minute. And then go about your work. And then as you continue through your day, you stop and you think, oh, you know what? I can pray and ask God about this. I can bring this before God and take another one to five minutes. And keep track of how many times in a day that you actually stop and offer up a one to five minute prayer to God. And then, through your week, this whole next week, stop and realize how many days you stopped and offered up a one to five minute prayer to God. And then at the end of the week, kind of tally it up. Because what you're going to find out about yourself is that you spent a lot more time talking with God. God heard every word that you spoke. They don't have to be eloquent. They don't have to be long. They don't have to be filled with a bunch of, of pagan ritualistic kind of words or even evangelical words that we think is going to get God's attention. What it needs to be is a response to his word from our heart to him. That's where God's calling us. So let's make 2019 a year of freedom in prayer. Let's be free to pray just short little one-minute prayers to God throughout our days. And, and see that that prayer is powerful and effective. Amen? Our Father, we thank you that you have given us the ability to approach your throne with boldness. And that we don't have to come and spend hours in there. We can come and just spend minutes. And you will soak up every minute that we give to you. Every minute that we come in and we say, God, here's my heart in this situation. Here's my heart in my marriage. Here's my heart at my job. Here's my heart in my worship to you. Here's my heart about not reading the word. Here's my heart, God, in, in, in giving my life to you. Here are the things that I think I need. But what are the things I need? God, you show me. And God, as we make these petitions, as we come and we just open our mouths throughout the day and just make one-minute prayers, that you would do miraculous things, that you would work in our lives, show us where you're working and growing us in our faith. And so we just want to commit ourselves to you in this process. Give us strength to follow through on the things you're calling us to do. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.